We gather on this Sunday before Christmas. Christmas is about an encounter with Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And I wanted to take this morning and spend a little time in another encounter that surrounds Christmas. We're in Luke chapter 2, verses 22, 21. I'm going to start in 21 and go through verse 33. What are you waiting for? At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, "Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation for the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered on this morning to remember, to tell the old, old story, to be together in worship as we approach Christmas and the celebration of all that you have given us and your Son, Jesus, in Emmanuel. So Father, as we spend these few moments thinking together in Your Word, would You open our hearts and our minds to all that You have done and all that You have given, that You would indeed work in us that we might embrace the Lord Christ for ourselves. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a story about the Fulfillment of God's promises. All the things that God had spoken and said that He would do. We have a story about a God who works through long ages. A God who works in the lives of whole nations. But who also works in the lives of of individuals. Who works in our lives individually to bring about the fulfillment of promise. To bring about salvation. Simeon had been waiting waiting for God to fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies. All those Old Testament promises. Simeon had been waiting. But in verse 26, it tells us very specifically that God had given him some personal promises. God had spoken to him very personally about his working to fulfill his promises in Simeon's own sight. 
that he would see God's fulfillment, that in his lifetime, that in, in his ministry, God would fulfill for him all of these promises. It was revealed to Simeon that the time of the Messiah had come, and that he would personally see the fulfillment of ages, of millennia. Right, The Old Testament had closed. If you know anything about the, the flow of the Old and New Testament, the Old Testament had closed about 400 years before the New Testament opens. So the last book in the Old Testament of Malachi is written about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And so the Old Testament closes with a lot of prophecy and promises that have been given by God to His people. And it closes with Israel living expectantly that God was going to deliver His people. God had given them some great great and precious promises about His intentions to save and to deliver. But then, there were 400 years of silence, prophetic silence. Not only of not fulfillment, but Hundreds of years, not only of the prophets going silent, but hundreds of years of foreign domination. Israel had spent centuries, there was a whole parade of, of empires that had invaded from Assyria taking the north, and Babylon come and taking, including the south, being followed by the Persians, and then by the Greeks under Alexander, and finally by Rome, and this whole parade over seven centuries of Domination. Subjugation. And the centuries dragged on. They were waiting for deliverance as a nation and as a people. Century after century. There were earlier promises going back to David. Going back to Abraham. Going back to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so the waiting goes back millennia. This world of promises, this world of prophecy that, that Israel swirled in at the time when Simeon gets a promise. After centuries of prophetic silence and waiting, God spoke to him. We don't know how exactly, but somehow it was revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he himself had laid eyes on Messiah. That he would see the fulfillment of all of these things, at this moment in history, when Rome ruled the world, when Caesar Augustus reigned, Caesar Augustus gave a decree. A decree that his whole empire should be counted. There should be a census because he wanted to do a better job of taxing them. Surprise, surprise. So he issues a decree so that he could better tax his people. His people needed to be counted. And so Joseph, of the house of David, took his wife Mary, and they traveled the 75-odd miles from Galilee to Jerusalem so that he could be counted. Traveled back to the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. place was packed out. This was going on all over the empire. So as Joseph comes, they have to lodge in a stable. In a barn. And while they're there being counted under the census, Mary gives birth to her son. He's born in a stable. 
He's laying in a manger, a, trough, a manger, a, a trough, a feeding trough for the animals. And so while they're there, this birth takes place, and it sounds to me like they may have gone home since this, this birth between this, this journey that we, this encounter that we're looking at this morning, they may have gone home and come back, or it may be when it says they went up to Jerusalem that they may have been staying in some surrounding place, but what we have in these verses before us is describing the parental responsibilities surrounding the birth of a male child in Israel at this time. Mary and Joseph are devout and faithful Jews. And they're seeking to fulfill all the laws that surround it. And that's what we get described here. Some of them wouldn't be familiar to us. Um, but they had to wait seven days before their son could be circumcised. So we read on verse 21, at the end of eight days, you know, into the eighth day, uh, when he was circumcised. And they named him. And they named him the name that was given to them by an angel before he was conceived in the womb. Before his birth, the name was given. And so, on the eighth day, he is circumcised and named. But in 22 and 23, in the verses that follow, it describes two more laws of Moses that the family had to fulfill surrounding the birth of their son. There's a law of purification and there's a law of redemption. Right? And so the law of purification, we'll read 22 and 23, it says that when the time came for their purification, really her purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, and this is the second one, the law of redemption, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's parenthetical in most of our versions because it's a second law. But in verse 24, it describes fulfilling that first one, purification, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So a woman in childbirth, there are a lot of laws of clean and unclean, and that had to do with worship. You know, whether you were clean and able to enter into the Israel's worship, or unclean, you had to abstain from worship and had to go through either a period or a process of purification. And so the mother in the birth of a child is considered unclean, and she has to wait. They wait seven days to, to uh, circumcise the child, so on the eighth day he's circumcised. She has to wait another 33 days, or the total of 40 days, before she can uh, go through the ritual of purification. And so on this journey also, though, there's a second law, that law of redemption. Every male child that opens the womb, every firstborn male son is holy to the Lord. There is a sense in which he belongs to God. The firstfruits e of everything belong to God. It's the law of the tithe, and it's the law here that the firstborn son, there is a redemption. And it's a small uh, redemption price they must pay. Five shekels to redeem their firstborn son. And so that's 24, the sacrifice for the mother's purification that must be offered. Now the law actually was, the law was that the mother should offer a lamb and either a dove or a pigeon. But this is where we get sort of a, a window into the socioeconomic status of Jesus and His family. Because He doesn't offer a lamb. They don't offer a lamb. They offer two pigeons. And the law made a provision that the poor or those who couldn't afford to offer a lamb, which was far more costly, could offer instead of a lamb and a pigeon, could offer two pigeons or two doves. And so we're told in verse 24, that a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons are offered for them. 
and for Mary's purification. So the baby Jesus is in Jerusalem or has returned to Jerusalem with His family fulfilling the law of Moses as good and devout lovers of God would do in their day. And you have this remarkable encounter take place. It really is, for me, it's one of my favorite Christmas stories. I love this picture that unfolds in this passage. You know, in verse 25, you have Simeon enter onto the stage of God's unfolding plan. Now there was a man who was also in Jerusalem. And his name is Simeon. And he's a man who's righteous and devout. A lover of God. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit is upon him. So Simeon, Simeon enters into the story. We're introduced to him. He's in Jerusalem. He's a devout and righteous man. Right? Outwardly righteous, fulfilling the law of Moses, living according to God's law, but also devout, meaning there's an inward devotion. He's a true believer. He's a lover of God. He's a man of faith, of genuine faith in Israel. A true Israelite, belonging to the remnant, the faithful remnant, who when Jesus, when Jesus shows up on the scene, embrace Him as Lord and Savior. And so we have a man here who's living by faith in the God of Israel. His heart and his mind then are full of the prophecies, not only of the Old Testament, but here you've got a guy. I don't know if you can imagine that God told him that he would live to see all these centuries, all these generation after generation waiting, reading the Scripture, rehearsing the prophecies, wondering and waiting, and for him, the time comes. The hopes and expectations of all of Israel in this moment. So in verse 25, we're told that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. So he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he comes in the Spirit into the temple at the moment the parents bring the child. Just the right time. The Spirit prompts him. It's in the Spirit that he comes into the temple. So in just the right time, he's on the appointed day, he is there. And this momentous story unfolds. I think it is just an awesome picture of him who has been waiting. He may be a priest, we're not sure, but he may be a priest, but he is in touch with the promises. He has his personal promise. He's been waiting, and this is the day he's moved by the Spirit to go. He's in the temple at the right moment. There must be a sense of expectation that this is it. He's scanning the crowd, looking for this one. He said he would see him. He would get to see him before he died, and so he's probably an old man. And he's scanning the crowd, looking for the one. And there come Mary and Joseph, and somehow he knows. Somehow he sees the child, and he knows. Imagine if you were informed that Jesus was coming back in your lifetime. Not just kind of reading the signs of the time, but no, no, the Lord had made clear to you. I don't know, by an angelic visitor, by a dream. I mean, there are many ways that He has been speaking in this time, this moment of history. But He came and, and it was a new moment of time and He had made it clear to you, Jesus is coming back in your lifetime. And then there comes a day where you wake up and you're like, this is it. The Spirit is upon you and you know. I mean, just think about your day. Think about your 
Think about that anticipation. I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. This, the coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven. The skies are rolled back like a scroll. You know, and the angels gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. History as we know it comes to an end. Jesus comes not in humility and in a stable, but He comes in power and glory to gather His own for all eternity. And this moment we have been waiting for, for centuries and for millennia and generation to generation. We have been passing it on and rehearsing the story and remembering and waiting and believing as a remnant of people who hold to the faith And God has made it known to you. Now is the time. This is the day. I don't know if you can get into that spirit, but this is is Simeon coming into the temple. The Lord Christ is here. (laughs) And I get to see Him. So he wanders. He comes into the temple looking and scanning the crowd. Somehow he knows. And in verse 28 it tells us, He took him up into his arms. And he blessed God. He blessed God. He took him into his arms and he begins, Michael Card has a song and it says, he took him into his arms and he began to sing. It's clear he began to worship. I don't know if he's just reciting Scripture because what comes out of his mouth is just Scripture on top of Scripture strung together from the book of Isaiah that, that he takes a child in his arm and he begins to recite or he begins to chant. He begins to worship the God who fulfills His promises. And expresses, this song expresses all the fulfillment of everything that he's been waiting for. Everything that Israel has been waiting for in these verses 29 and 30 and 31 and 32. Expressing all the desires of Israel as captured in Old Testament prophecy. Back in verse 25, it had said that he was, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I want to just take a moment and say, what does that mean? The consolation of Israel. Because for us, consolation could seem like a very small thing. If one of our children doesn't get what they hope to get on Christmas morning, you may have to console them. Right? Or there's some, some job you wanted to get, or there's something, or some, we suffer some loss and we console one another. We might think, what does it mean he's waiting for the consolation of Israel? But for him, it is, is a much bigger and richer Thing. Consolation of Israel captures all of the longing. The consolation is, much, is, is a salvation. It is much bigger. It is to console and deliver Israel from all of her bondage. And so we get in verse 26, we're told that the, comfort, that the consolation that he's waiting for is a person. Right in 25, he's waiting For the consolation of Israel, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the consolation that he's been waiting for is the Lord's Christ. A person. A person who would come. Most of you probably know that Christ is not a name. It's a title. And so, the Lord's Christ. Christ is just the Greek word, the Greek translation of the word Messiah. And so, if you were just doing pure Hebrew, it would be the Lord's Adonai's, however, whichever word you would choose from the Hebrew, His Messiah, His Christ. And Messiah is the Hebrew word translated, which literally means His anointed. 
It's God's man. God's man set aside for a purpose. So he's waiting for the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one, the one whom the Lord would send. He is the answer to every promise, the fulfillment of every promise and every prophecy, the one we have been waiting for, the Lord's Christ, who would save His people. So many Old Testament passages that lead God's people to think of the Messiah in terms of the consolation of Israel. And at the time that Jesus comes, in their minds, this is, you know, as it's recorded for us here, written in this period, they think of Messiah in terms of the consolation of Israel because it's the language the Old Testament gives uh, for them to think of this one who is coming. For instance, there in your bulletin under the second point is Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Very well-known passage to many of us where it says, Comfort, comfort my people. And as many of you know, Isaiah 1-39 to feels a lot like the Old Testament and law and judgment and God's indictment against His people. And, it's a, and in verse 40, there is a turn. We're introduced to the Lord's servant. And so 40 to the end of Isaiah 26 chapters. And interestingly, I don't know what you do with things like this. There are 39 chapters in the Old Testament and 26 in the New. And Isaiah 1-39 to kind of have that feel to it. And starting in verse 40, in the last 26 chapters of Isaiah, introduced is this servant who would save God's people. And Isaiah 53 is one of the famous ones that the servant who would bear our iniquity, who would be crushed for our iniquities and bear our sin. And here he is in Isaiah 40 as he's introduced comfort, comfort, and that put right in there, console, console my people. Console my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended. That her iniquity has been pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That means her sins are doubly paid for. And so, doubly or fully pardoned. Her warfare, her striving, her subjugation has ended. She is free. Console, console my people. Console her with the forgiveness of sins and the peace of God. Her salvation. Right, and so this series of quotes from 30 to well, 28 through 32 is a collection of quotes from the rest of Isaiah, poetically strung together in a in a poetic or song way, as, as, as Simeon sings of this salvation. It says in verse 30, "My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence not just of Israel but of all peoples." All of the nations of the world, the light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the, to the peoples of all those nations of the world, and the glory of your people Israel. So, he sings of a Savior that is not just for the remnant, a Savior not just for Israel, but a Savior who was prepared in the sight of the whole world. So Isaiah 52 there in your bulletin, he says, break forth. Together into singing, which is exactly what Simeon does, doesn't he? Right? So he, he sees Jesus and he breaks forth into singing the waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted, he has consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. Verse 
Right? That's exactly what Simeon sings. And to the ends of the earth they shall see the salvation of our God. And that's how he starts. I can now depart in peace because I have seen your salvation. The fulfillment of all your promises. For me, for your people Israel, in the, in the eyes of all the nations to the very ends of the earth, the Savior is born. Verse, Isaiah 49, verse 6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant and raise up only the tribes of Jacob and bring back only the preserved of Israel. No, that's not enough. I will make you a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, so that my salvation will reach to the very ends of the earth. Jesus, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, His Anointed One, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of His people Israel because He is the Savior. He is revealed as the Savior of both. Of all. Our Savior. That is a beautiful passage as Simeon comes and takes the child. I don't know if he was a priest and so they presented the child to him. And so as, you know, in, in, in redeeming him, and that they handed him to him not knowing, and he just recognizes in that moment and begins to sing. Or sometimes I imagine that he's not the priest, it's really not clear, but that he sees the child, and you know how everybody wants you to see your baby, and like, oh, what a beautiful child. And like, here, can I hold him? You know, and he comes, well, I, does, he, does he just come up and take the child from them and then begin to, to sing? Such that it says that the father and his mother marveled, verse 33, at what was said about him. That this man would take their son and say such things. My friends, do you see how God orchestrated this whole thing? God orchestrated this whole encounter. It's an orchestration that spans centuries and even millennia. It's an orchestration that over 400 years of prophetic silence was still in the making. An orchestration where God orchestrates this very specific encounter. How the work of the Spirit saturates this passage. You see in verse 25 it says the Holy Spirit was upon Him. He was a righteous and devout man. The Spirit was on Him. He was full of the Spirit. Verse 26 it says it was a Spirit who revealed to Him that he would live to see the Christ. In verse 27, it says that he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit prompted him or compelled him into the temple on that day. It was a Spirit that somehow made clear to him that this child is the one. Take, Embrace him and worship. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. Simeon had been prepared. Right, we see that. Simeon had been prepared for this moment in so many ways. He was brought to the right place at the right time. And he was given eyes to see what God was doing. Right, that's how God works. He orchestrates things. He works in our lives. He brings us to the right place at the right time. He opens our eyes and gives us eyes to see what He is doing. In the light of the Gentiles and the glory of His people God orchestrated Simeon's encounter with Jesus so that Simeon would embrace the Savior and worship Him. That's where God was leading him. 
But you need to see that this encounter that God orchestrates between Simeon and the baby Jesus, that Jesus is a child, where He embraces Him in worship, this is but the first of so many counters that are exactly the same. That starting in many ways here, and through the rest of Jesus' life, and in the centuries now and millennia that have followed, there have been, I don't know what, billions of encounters just like this orchestrated by a God who works in the lives of people. right, And brings them to the right moment in the right place at the right time. Gives them eyes to see this child is the Lord Christ. The Lord's Messiah. right, The Savior. The, the One who the God would send. Who would be Savior not only in Israel, but a Savior for the whole world. That He would pardon us from our sins. He would comfort, console God's people by delivering us from our sin. And into a redeemed relationship with Himself. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the comfort of God to bring meaning and satisfaction and peace to his life. Let me ask you what you're waiting for this morning. What are you looking for this morning? Because all of us do it and all of us wait. Many of us are looking for, I don't know, just the right job. Just the right time. Just the right person. Just the right Christmas experience. You know, for everything to go the way it's supposed to. Are we, what are you waiting for? What are you looking for? Because I can tell you, as he is waiting for the consolation of Israel, you will not find what you are looking for anywhere under the sun. Because what our world has to offer is cold comfort. It's not like the comfort, the consolation that God gives here. That, that spans and invades and saturates not our lives, but also our eternity. Let your servant now depart in peace. I can go now. It is okay. I get it. I understand. Right? This, the, what God offers us is something that spans time and eternity. The world has cold comfort. It has no lasting peace. When Simeon saw Jesus, he knew. He knew he had seen God's salvation. He knew that he was saved. He knew that peace was his. The consolation. Comfort, comfort my people. Your warfare and your striving is ended. Your iniquity has been pardoned. You've received from the Lord's hand more than you need. Simeon knew he had encountered God's salvation. When you see Jesus, when we gather for Christmas and we sing of this one, unto you a child is born and unto you a son is given, who do you see? What do you see in this child? Who is He? What does He have to offer to you? What can He give To you. What is it all about? Is God orchestrating in your life? Even this morning. You know, I was 18 when I really came to understand these things. And there was in the right moment, in the right place. God had been at work in my life. He had prepared me. And there was a moment when I was given eyes to see that I saw Jesus for who He was. And what He had to offer. And that like Simeon, I needed to embrace Him And to 
begin a life that's centered around the worship, the following of this child, this one. Is God orchestrating your encounter? Is He at work in your life? Do you have the inklings of understanding of who Jesus is and what He has done for you? Are you looking for what He has to offer? My Christmas friends, Christmas is all about this God who keeps promises. It's about a God who promised to bring salvation, to bring comfort. A God who promised to save. A God who says that He can give peace and He can pardon sin. A God who says, I can make peace between us and bring peace into your world, into your soul, into your life through the forgiveness of our sins. To bring consolation by ending our warfare, ending our striving. We know from the rest of the New Testament that God accomplishes all of this through the cross and the resurrection of this same child, this baby who grows to live the life that you and I failed to live. This one who was willing to bear in his own body on the cross our sin, to take our place, to be our substitute, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and through his resurrection to overcome death so that we could rest in peace in this life and the life to come. Let your servant now depart in peace. My debt is paid in Christ. There in your bulletin under the last point, I have Acts chapter 10, where it says to Him, that is to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. The prophets we've read and the prophets we haven't. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him, who receives Him, receives the forgiveness of sins through His name. If you have never known your sins to be forgiven, if you have never known God to speak a word of peace over you, then let this Christmas be the day where God indeed orchestrates this encounter. The Bible says there is no consolation and there is no peace where there is no forgiveness of sins. And so He calls us to the Lord Christ. To the One whom He sends. He calls us. Christmas brings the promise of peace. And so the question is, my friends, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What consolation have you found in this fleeting world? For many of us this morning who have already encountered Christ, I feel that same question coming to me. What are you waiting for? Christmas, this time is a time when we focus our hearts again. It's a great time to embrace Christ again. To take Him in your arms and to begin to sing again. To sing the song of salvation. To, to re-embrace the joy of His salvation. To, to enter again into the narrow path and to come hard after Jesus. Will you be ready to depart in peace? Have you seen His salvation? Will you take Him in your arms? And like Simeon, find Him to be everything you've ever hoped for everything you've ever dreamed of, everything that you were waiting for. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You that You are a God who keeps promises. We thank You that You are a God who did not leave us as we were, but through the centuries gave hope and gave promises that You spoke of One whom You would send. 
We thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ, Your Christ, Your Messiah, the consolation of Your people, the light of the Gentiles and the glory of Your people Israel. Oh, Father, we come this morning. Would You give us eyes to see? We would embrace Jesus. We would embrace Him as the One You have sent to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves, to put our faith and our trust in Him, to bow the knee before Him, to serve and follow Him, to take Him in our arms and to worship. Not only on this day, but every day for the rest of our lives. That we... Your servants may be ready to depart in peace because You have drawn near and saved us in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.